This is crime culture. It is. That's you. That's me. And that's I'm you. Me. I'm me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Sometimes Michael likes to um, mimic me in the form of if you've ever played, I think it's Smash or Mario Kart or any of them. Daisy just goes, "Hi, I'm Daisy," and Michael likes to do that to imitate me. Of course. And I think that was, I see what he, what they mean now. Yes. Like, uh, yeah, that's just, you know. Um, how are you doing, babe? How was your Thanksgiving? I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. What? I think our last episode came out, we recorded before Thanksgiving, but it came out after Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, so I mean. I, so we're behind. We're, we're behind, but we're ahead. It's now firmly Christmas time. Apparently. Time is not real. That's, that's what, that's. That's what all of our pets are saying as they try to knock over the trees. No, my boy is very good. He right, went up well. and sniffed the tree one time. And <laughs> last night he was being very naughty and he tried to bite one branch and then I yelled at him and then he ran away. <laughs> but he has um, not tried anything since. Yeah, my one cat likes to like go under the tree and sit there because she understands that she is the gift. Um, and I fully support that. But then he's very upset that I have put the tree in such a position that he cannot chew. And Aww. so he sits on the back of, no, don't awe. No, he, he, he cannot chew because it will kill him. And he may not understand that, but I sure as fuck do. Um, but he'll sit on the back of the chair that's directly next to the, the tree and just stare at it. We, we, I'll, I'll find pictures of both because they really do. They, like the one lays under the tree and then the other lays across above like like directly towards the middle of the uh -huh. tree and just stares at it he just he's just like you would think they are star-crossed lovers him in this tree yeah and maybe they are but i now i'm putting out the call for everyone to send me photos of their pet next oh, to their hell tree yeah. hell yeah under the tree in the tree next to the tree if you got a menorah like show me that shit yeah I want all of it. If it's a holiday decoration and there is a pet within the general vicinity, cats and stockings, puppies and stockings. Ooh, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. You you all understand the assignment. Yeah. Go forth, my children. Um, but in other words, keeping on the topic of uh, the holidays. Hell yeah. We are. I'm, I'm talking about it because I can smell it right now. Cosmic mm -hmm. green candles, everybody. We have hell, fucking yeah. We did an addiction. Uh, yeah, we we, we <laughs> did a number on that store. Um, <laughs> we, I we currently own, to do a number. <laughs> I currently own about five of their candles. I, um, so if you need a promo, uh, this is it because we are yes. we we would not promote something that we are not fully in love with, and we <laughs> we're a little too obsessed. in love. <laughs> yes. Any any like. We don't really make money on this podcast, but even if we did, any money would be going to Cosmic Cream Candles with yeah, how much, much we spend. Um, I just got their Tangled Tinsel Mistletoe Candle and a hack for those with fake trees like myself smells just like a fucking Christmas tree. So it's like you have the real thing without any of the like, you know, the, the needles, the dead tree nonsense, the cats chewing on the branches and potentially dying. Yeah. It's got none of that, but it's got the wood wick. It's got the soy wax. It's it's homemade in Massachusetts or like small business made or whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm just a big fucking fan. Haley's a big fucking fan. We almost 
completely finished our fall one, but yeah. I, I needed to, I, I ended up packaging it away with uh, my fall stuff so oh, that when smart. I when I take out my Halloween decorations for next year, I find the candle. I'm like, oh, yay. Um, that's very smart. But we have three or four winter ones that um, we are in love with. So if you go to Cosmic Green Candles, their website, you can use the code CRIMECULTURE for 20% off. You can. And you can also go to the link in our bio. And it's right at the tippy tippy top. You just have to click on that and it will immediately redirect you to Cosmic Green Candles. And girl, you don't even have to input a code. It does it for you. Oh, it does it. Because we care Perfect. about you like that. Allegedly. I, I think it does that. Because Double check before you place the order. Yell at me if that's not correct, because I'm just technologically illiterate because I'm just I'm more into candles. I'm more into the tech of the 1500s where they're like, ooh, light and it smells good. But but get a candle for everybody on all of your holiday lists. Get ones for your teachers, for your essential mm-hmm. workers, for, for your, your favorite podcast hosts. People. Uh? Oh, I'm not saying you said it. But I'm not saying no. I agree. It was a joke, but I'm not kidding. The one, <laughs> I think the one snowed in is my favorite so far. That's so I'm, good. I'm, I'm a summer bitch at heart, and I'm really, I'm hardcore eyeing those summer scents. And yeah, I'd like you just gave me like a brain blast, and I think that's what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna stock up on my seasonal shit. And then just put and then away take the it ones. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Yeah. So that way you get one for every season and then you get the nice smells. But exactly. anyway, that's Cosmic Green Candles, code Crime Culture for 20% off. We absolutely love them. And what are we talking about this week? We are talking about Bob Crane. I can't say that I know it. I don't either, though I will tell you, I was just talking with a coworker about that one scene on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Don't At Me. It was on a loop in my house before I moved out, and so I've seen too many episodes up until 2016. Um, but it's Scott Disick does this like prank call to Chris Jenner and is like, Auntie Chris, it's Todd Cranes. And that's all I could think of this entire episode. So you're all welcome for that. If you've all ever right. seen that episode, that's all that's going to run through your head, too. Can't say that I have. I, I but... You, all right, if you're our age and you didn't watch TV Land for fun as a child like some of us did, um, not saying who, but some of us, um, you will probably not know who Bob Crane is until, for lack of a better phrase, I tell you and you go, oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm Um, waiting for it. Yeah, but hopping right in. Uh, Robert David Crane was the youngest of two children, born on July 13th, 1928, in Waterbury, Connecticut. Well, that's by you. Uh, it is by me. Well, it's by where I used to, where I grew up. Yeah. Um, it's not by me right now. Um, it's decidedly not by me. Um, but he was born to Alfred Thomas Crane and Rosemary Ksenich Crane. And Bob went on to grow up in Stamford, Connecticut, which is where my mom and uncles grew up and where my grandma still lives. Um, to this day, please don't visit grandma. Um, and he was an avid drummer as a kid. He loved playing the drums. He was, uh, he was always a performer. Um, in fact, by the time he was in junior high, he was producing little drum and bugle parades with his friends. That's adorable. Just, yeah. So wholesome. 
And by the time high school rolled along, he joined Stanford High School's marching band and orchestra and jazz band. And he was also part of the youth orchestra programs with the Connecticut and Norwalk Symphony Orchestras. And all of this is very, yeah. Well, and all of this is very like to me because I'm like, oh, I knew kids who were in those orchestras. Like, it's just, it's very like, I understand the trajectory of his life. But it's Um, not like he was just like doing it for shits and giggles. Like he was like on his way up to like maybe doing this like semi-professionally. No. no he just really loved to do it it was like a hobby really i mean usually hobbies don't uh uh manifest themselves in such a way yeah like get that that deep into mm-hmm. it but yeah no he was just he was just a big performer he was a big ham mm-hmm. and he loved playing the drums and so that's what he did um and then in 1946 he graduated from stanford high and two years later enlisted in the connecticut army national guard and while serving there he while serving not there there's no there um while he was in the national guard he married his high school sweetheart ann terzian and they went on to have three children robert david jr deborah ann and karen leslie cute And then in 1950, Crane was honorably discharged, at which point he began working in radio broadcasting. So not drums, but still kind of like in the general, like, I know radio was more talky then. He could be around drummers. It was a more more talk radio sort of gig. But that's what he began doing. Um, Started out cutting his teeth. Back to performance. Yes, exactly. He started out cutting his teeth at WLEA in Hornell, New York, after which he served as a jockey at WBIS in Bristol, Connecticut, and WICC in Bridgeport, Connecticut, the latter of which covered both Connecticut and a portion of the New York metropolitan area, which I know because it was one of the stations my parents listened to when I was a kid. Oh, damn. WICC is still fucking WIC kicking, bitch. Wow. I'm Haley, I got so excited when I read this because literally when I would drive down to you in the baby days of the podcast when we record like a fuck ton of episodes in one weekend uh-huh. um you know the the glory days oh yeah when the i would stamina be out of- we had <laughs> the stamina that we had that we will never have again no oh it'll be in your early 20s um i would when i would be out of range for the station i normally listened to i would switch it to wicc mm-hmm. like that's how i was like holy shit um, but anyway, enough about me just geeking out over a radio station. So Crane continued building up his resume until 1956 when CBS tapped him to host the morning show at their West Coast uh, radio station, KNX, in Los Angeles. Wow. That's big time. Yeah. Their flagship. Yeah. Big time. Um, the show quickly reached the top of the charts for morning show ratings with Crane being dubbed the, quote, king of the Los Angeles airwaves. Wow. Yes, very cute. I know. So by 1960, he was actually one of the first disc jockeys in the country to earn over $100,000 a year in the 60s. Dang. I know. And I didn't do the math on this one, friends. I just, as I was saying it, I was like, oh, I should have done the math for that one. But I mean, $100,000 is a lot of money now. So homie was making bank yeah back then are you looking it up? I'm trying to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I see his eyes like, like go like askew a little bit. And I was like, oh, oh, she's looking it up. So while Haley's looking it up, at this time, Crane interviewed a whole host of celebrities, including Charlton Heston, Bob a- Hope. $100,000 in 1960s equivalent in purchasing power to about $934,422. <sighs> he made Holy quite fuck. literally about a million dollars. 
Holy fuck. Yeah. You go, Bob Crane. Wow. Oh, and baby, we're just getting started. Damn. Okay. I want you to think about this and I want you to think about supplementary income in a minute. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he interviewed Bob Hope. He interviewed Charlton Heston. He interviewed Marilyn Monroe. Wow. On this show. Yeah. And so after Carl Reiner, RIP, appeared on the show, he was like, hey, like, I like you. And he had done some like guest hosting gigs for like Johnny Carson's Carson's daytime show and shit Mm -hmm. like that. But Carl Reiner was like, hey, I like you. Like, I want to give you a guest starring role as this like cheating husband on the Dick Van Dyke show. I guess not cheating, but like philandering, wandering eye because it's the Dick Van Dyke show. It's 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 wholesome. Um, but that turned into Crane got a supporting role as a happy-go-lucky dentist named Dr. Dave Kelsey on the Donna Reed show. Donna Reed saw him on the Dick Van Dyke show and was like, yo, that'd be cool. And he came on for one episode as a guest star and was liked so much that they brought him on as a supporting character the following se- starting the following season. Okay. So he would continue to work full time at KNX while he's also on the Donna Reed show. So he was making a million just from KNX. Yeah. And then he's also doing Donna Reed. Wow. And like to the point he would actually run back and forth from recording at the like the radio show at the KNX studio um, in Columbia Square to taping the Donna Reed show at Columbia Studios. Dang. And so eventually he left the Donna Reed show in December 1964 to star in a new sitcom, which is where you're going to go. Oh, I see hogan's heroes i never watched hogan's heroes i never watched hogan's heroes either however as i said to you off the mic before we started i said this is an episode for our dads because our dads sure as shit watched hogan's heroes i can remember my dad watching hogan's heroes like when it was syndicated Mm -hmm. i can like he probably is watching it right now i'm gonna be honest it's either that (laughs) or a john wayne western or like fucking what's that one bonanza my dad okay. liked Mash, I think. Yeah, Mash was a big My one. A My big dad likes Mash. Seinfeld guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this this would be like like I guarantee you we're gonna get off this and we're gonna mention Hogan's Heroes to our dads. They're gonna be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, everybody ask your dad about Hogan's Heroes. If I ask my dad Bob Crane, he'd probably know who he is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But so the series, for those who don't know, like us, um, starred Crane as the titular U.S. Army Air Corps Colonel Hogan. And it did the unthinkable by creating a situational comedy. Hear me out. I would love to have been in the room when they like came up with this idea. A situational comedy in which a group of allied prisoners of war are in a German military prison camp during World War II. And pretty much it makes the Nazis look like the inept bumbling idiots that they are as the like allies continue to just fucking dunk on them in a way only nationalistic war propaganda can. Mm-hmm. So like TLDR, they're in one of the like most brutal worst. This is a comedy most brutal, like worst prisoner of war camps in Germany during world war two. And yet they have a secret espionage base located underneath this camp and the Nazis are entirely clueless as they're, like, leaking information and helping people escape. Huh. It's fucking wild. And they got a French guy. They got an American. They got another tech. They got, like, a Texan. And and Hogan's character was actually from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's what he would say. But then, like, other times they would say that he was from Ohio. But I choose to believe Bridgeport. Um, but, yeah. So, it it was just... 
it was a weird fucking concept. And it wasn't just the public who was initially confused and later delighted by this comedy. Because allegedly, when Crane's agent first sent him the script for the show, he thought it was a drama. And because, again, it's Nazi Germany, a prisoner of war camp. Mm -hmm. So he thought it was a comedy and his agent was apparently like, quote, Bob, what are you talking about? This is a comedy. These are the funny Nazis. (laughs) End quote. Funny Nazis. <laughs> the funny okay. Nazis, you know. Well, and what I loved that I didn't include in this because I was researching the show, um, they had Jewish actors play the Nazis as these as these idiots. Interesting. Okay. Um, one of the cast members actually was in an internment camp. He he he's Jewish as well. Not one of the Nazi players, but yeah, one of the yeah. main characters. He he like to the point he still had his um his numbers his marker on his arm wow yes he he was interred there as a child wow um and so it like i liked that aspect of it too that they had like and the man who signed on as like the main like commander of the camp the nazi commander he only signed on under the assurance that he would never succeed in any of his like schemes that Uh he would always be foiled every episode that's an interesting way to take it yeah well just that like the nazis never win yeah and and so knowing all of those things though i was just like oh wow like that's really great that they like kind of worked that because it was still this came out in the 60s it was only like 20 years after the yeah so anyway speaking uh, speaking of so not only did Crane star in this sitcom, but the now like famous to our parents military like style snare drum rhythm in the show's theme song. Remember, Crane was an avid drummer. He fucking did that shit. Wow. He okay. played the drums in the theme song. Uh-huh. So even though like Crane kept doing his radio show for the first like full season of Hogan's Heroes uh, to, to, you know, like ensure that he'd still have a job if the show failed. Um, Hogan's Heroes proved to be a massive, like, overnight success when it premiered on CBS on September 17th, 1965, and it wound up finishing in the top 10 in its first year. Whoa. Yeah. All right. The series shot Crane to superstardom, and he went on to be nominated for two Emmy Awards in 1966 and 1967 for his role as Hogan in Hogan's Heroes. It seems like this guy can't, like, hit a false note. I love you so much. Like, he just is a huge success in everything he is he is and i love that you mentioned that here because with the show's success he was also soon able to use this newfound fame in conjunction with his likable personality he was beloved by the public to his advantage to meet and hook up with women and collect nude photos of them with the help of his friend and collaborator john henry carpenter i mean it's gonna get to that eventually right we got there we got there tiger woods got there and so did we um Carpenter was a regional sales manager for Sony Electronics. I'm sure you've heard of Sony. And he would help famous clients with their video equipment. So they were introduced by a co-star of Cranes. And they pretty much immediately struck up a friendship, which involved Carpenter helping Crane get access to technology that would enable him to watch and make pornography. Hmm. Because here's the thing. Crane was secretly a sex addict. And as it turned out, Carpenter was pretty into porn and sex and whatnot himself. So Mm -hmm. um, it was like a match made in sexy heaven. And the two began going to bars together with Crane kind of reeling in women with his celebrity status. And again, like his personality, he was very likable. Um, 
and then introducing them to Carpenter, who he would say was his manager. And then Crane and Carpenter would go back to wherever and videotape the joint sexual escapades and at times orgies that would ensue. Mm -hmm. And though some of his co-stars weren't particularly bothered by his sex addiction, such as Robert Clary, who is the guy who introduced them, others were more directly affected. Most notably, Crane had an affair with his co-star Cynthia Lynn, who played the main Nazis sexy secretary Helga in the first season of the show. Mm-hmm. And after their affair ended, he moved on to this actress, Patricia Olson, whose stage name was Sigrid Valdis. And he successfully convinced the producers to basically kick Cynthia Lynn out of her contract. It was like a five season contract they all signed. Damn. Kick, kick her out of her contract and replace Helga, the character that Cynthia Lynn played, with a similar character named Hilda, who was played by Olsen, a.k.a. Sigrid Valdis, uh-huh. the next season. Uh-huh. And she continued to play that role throughout. Um, Crane also went on to divorce his high school sweetheart, Terzian, shortly before their 21st wedding anniversary. Damn. And, yeah, married Olsen soon after in 1970 on the Hogan's Heroes set. And with kind of tacky, I think it gets better with co-star Richard Dawson serving as his best man. It seems like a shotgun type wedding deal. Like we need to do this quick. Let's do it at work. They did have a child in 1971. I don't know the exact date of their wedding, but we can Oof-a. we can look that up quick. It it could be it could be like one I of those. I mean, I some people I guess love their jobs, but like. If I had to get married at my work, I think I would pass away. <laughs> well, but they met at their work, too. That's true. Dude, like, well, not met at their work, but, like, they worked together. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I And I do not... I do not see whether or not... Like, I... Oh, yes, I do. Um, They got married on October 16th, 1970. Oh, my God. That's my anniversary. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Am I doomed? Um... I'm not well, going to say yes, but I'm not going to say no. no. You know what? No, because that's the date of my like wedding reception. That's not the date that I actually got married. So that's fine. I got married before my wedding. I'll everybody. allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. Have we mentioned that? I don't think I we've don't mentioned know. that. I say sarcastically knowing full well that we mention it almost Did every we? episode. We've mentioned it many times. Yes. That I didn't get married that at Elliot, my wedding? That Elliot was your husband before no. he was like your husband husband? Oh, I don't know. I don't fucking oh, know. Oh, no, we have. Oh, 100% we have. I haven't shut the... Haley got her wedding photos back the other day, quick aside. And my favorite shot, I think, is, of course, I'm making it about me, but there's a photo of me trying so hard not to fucking sob at the table during the speeches. Did you see that? Yeah. And I was was like, that fucking photographer that she caught that. (laughs) I was like, this sums it up. This sums up the entire vibe of the podcast leading up to this wedding. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so they got married. They had a son, Scott, in 1971, and then went on to adopt a daughter named Anna Marie. And Olsen quickly came to resent the influence that Carpenter had over her husband, but the men were so, like, enmeshed. Thick as thieves, thieves, but in an unhealthy way. Yeah. That it was impossible to, like, separate them. Well, they're making kind of illegal porn together, right? They they were making, they were making, I guess it was, we'll we'll get into legalities. His partners don't know that they're being filmed. Is this correct? Allegedly, they all did. Okay. All right. They, it was it was allegedly consensual, but we'll get into that. Okay. Um, Robert Jr., Crane's son from his first marriage, recalled to Entertainment Weekly that his father's dressing room on Hogan's Heroes was quote porn central. 
Ew. And your son's saying that about you? Ew. He took his son to the premiere of Deep Throat when his son was 21. And he was like fangirling over the porn stars, apparently. That's... I mean, everyone's got different relationships he had an with their addiction. parents, but like, that's yeah. weird. I think but he it's had, weird. He, he, he was also sick. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so apparently he would stash Polaroids, negatives, and X-rated movies all around his dressing room. And Robert Jr. later said of his father, quote, he made some bad moves. He collected photographs of women and put together these books. Oh, here's Sally from Jacksonville, Florida. And then he started showing them to people. He was doing a very bad Disney movie called Super Dad, playing an all-American character who cares about his daughter running off with some unsavory type. But at Disney Studios in Burbank, he's on the set showing photographs of women that he's been with to the people on the crew. Uh. That hurt him because the executives found out people talk and it started getting in publications like the National Enquirer, end quote. Yeah, and Disney does not want to be associated with anything even near that. No, remember how they treated poor Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah, like that was uh, oh they did not they were not nice to her about that but um anyway. they're not really nice to any of their child stars but that could be a whole separate episode of like that's true the wrongdoings of disney to their stars oh we could do that it's, um what do you call it like labor crimes <laughs> yeah pretty much um but it I, I will say the super dad thing doesn't come until later this isn't something that's happening right now uh-huh. where he got in trouble so hogan's heroes he's like a literal hero like people love him yeah so after six seasons on CBS, um, the network decided to cancel Hogan's Heroes in 1971 because they felt that it was disrespectful and politically incorrect to be making a comedy about war while the Vietnam War was very much going on, dominating the headlines, and prisoners of war were being captured and killed on the reg. That's probably a, a good call. It's probably yeah. accurate. Yeah. Um, whether or not they did it out of the goodness of their hearts or whether or not they did it to get ahead of potential bad PR, I don't yeah. know. Could go either uh, way. You know what? Yep. But either way, it got canceled unceremoniously. Wasn't even like a finale. There wasn't any like goodbye episode or anything like that. It was just, okay, you're canceled. Um, so after that, Crane's career kind of took a dive with him first landing a string of TV movies and then two poorly received Disney movies, including Super Dad. Mm-hmm. But soon the only gigs that he could really get were at dinner theaters and guest starring roles on shows like the love boat Hmm. so he did have his own series on nbc in 1975 but a continuous decline in viewership resulted in its cancellation within a few months after only 14 episodes aired so overall his career is kind of like in the tubes Mm -hmm. and In 1973, he had purchased the rights to this rom-com play about a man having an extramarital affair, ironically enough, called Beginner's Luck. And he began touring it then. And as its star and he was he was its star and its director as well. Okay. Um, And just all over at dinner theaters around the country, including the Showboat Dinner Theater in St. Petersburg, Florida, and the La Mirada Civic Theater in California. And Carpenter, meanwhile... He, it wasn't that his star was like rising, so to speak, but he just, his career was fine. And he went on to actually become the national sales manager at Akai. And it's, that's another like electronics company. Mm -hmm. And his relationship with Crane at this point had become like so enmeshed that he would arrange his business trips to coincide with Crane's dinner theater tour schedule so that they could continue videotaping these sexual escapades. Ugh. Yeah. Um, finally, in the summer of 1978, Crane and his family moved to Arizona after Beginner's Luck was booked at the Windmill Dinner Theater. However, spoiler alert, Crane would not live to see the show's premiere. 
Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. So on June 29th, 1978, a heat wave had driven all of Scottsdale, Arizona residents indoors to seek refuge in their Arizona condition in their conditioned homes. I don't know why I said in their Arizona conditioned homes, but okay, Caitlin, you do you. However, if anybody has ever seen Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing, if you haven't, please go watch it. It's very good. Um, Justice for Radio Rahim. But few things, good things at least, ever happened during a heat wave, which in this case is just the entire summer in Arizona. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But police were called to a dimly lit first floor unit 132A of the Winfield Apartments after a dinner theater co-star of Crane's, Victoria Berry, arrived at the apartment earlier because the pair had arranged to meet up that day. Uh, My sources differed regarding the details. Some said that it was to grab lunch and others said it was to run lines. But either way, they were supposed to meet at a secondary location. He never showed. So she went to his apartment to be like, yo, where the fuck are you? Uh Uh-huh. And... She went to his apartment to see what was up, and upon her arrival, she found the battered body of a shirtless crane sprawled across his bed. Ooh. His cause of death was later determined to be blunt force trauma. Um, his skull had literally been just beaten in. Oh, he had God. been bludgeoned to death. Yes. Um, the murder weapon was nowhere to be found, but he had suffered two huge gashes above his left ear. And furthermore, an electrical video cable had been tied around his neck post-mortem. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He was 49 years old. Damn. Yeah. So Crane was beaten so badly that not only was he unrecognizable, like his face was unrecognizable, Mm. but there was also blood spatter painted across the walls and the (gasps) ceiling of his bedroom and his pillow was completely drenched. Oh my God. Yeah. So after learning that Crane's apartment was leased to the nearby Windmill Dinner Theater, Police had asked the theater's manager, Ed Beck, to identify the body. And Beck later told the press, quote, there was no way I could identify him on one from one side. The other side, yes. Wow. Like one side of his face. Yeah. Like his body, you could kind of tell it was him. His hair, you could kind of tell it was him. But the side of his face that was like most facing people. Yeah. You you could not. The, the crime <sighs> scene photos are online. I guarantee you, you do not want to see them. But if you are feeling particularly brave, they're on there. Um, But so is his porn. So be careful. Oh, Jesus. We'll get into that. So Scottsdale Detective Barry Vassell was in Phoenix with a colleague when he was called to the scene. And several law enforcement officers were already present, along with Barry, the co-star. And Vassell then went to the airport to pick up Robert Jr., Crane's business manager Lloyd Vaughn, and Crane's attorney Bill Goldstein and brought them to the scene. And this really almost immediately bungled the investigation. Um, According to Robert Jr., when the trio arrived, they were immediately allowed to enter the crime scene. Okay. And he said, quote, Vaughn Goldstein and I walked through the apartment examining, touching, handling items in plain view of Vassal. We added our fingerprints, footprints, and hair samples to an already contaminated, lackadaisically investigated, casually considered murder scene, end quote. Mm. But that wasn't all. Um, officials also permitted Barry to enter the apartment to enter the apartment to answer the phone while they were doing all of this. It's like, and, yeah, I know. And the oh Maricopa God. County Medical Examiner climbed over Crane's body <gasps> and shaved his head at the crime <gasps> scene to better examine his wounds. Dude, he's dead. You don't have to like worry about moving him or anything like that. Like. You can move him yeah, you're to fine. a secondary location 
and examine him there. His wounds aren't going to change. Yeah. But yes. So Vassal, who is now a retired, um, he's retired from the police. He's a he's a private investigator now. Um, He disagrees that this botched the investigation. Are you fucking kidding me? I know. He says of the incident, quote, in a perfect world, you have a crime scene. Nobody's allowed in and nobody's allowed out. Only have one or two people in there. You only have one or two people in there. But that doesn't always happen. No, that's every crime scene. I don't think there was any contamination of the crime scene, which is what you really worry about. End quote. Fucking okay. If anybody here has been to a crime scene or work or knows somebody that like works at crime scenes, let us know if that is accurate information. From all <laughs> I'm of gonna the, venture no. From all of the extensive true crime research we've done, that is that is the opposite, opposite. of yes. what you want. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, fuck. You're a private yeah. investigator. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So Crane's funeral was held at the Saint at Saint Paul the Apostle Church in Westwood, California, on July fifth, nineteen seventy eight. Um, I want I want to set the scene here. Crane went from being like the most popular person alive to working dinner theaters. Yeah, he was not. But his star had fallen. Um, yeah. he was broke. He was actually, I believe, like either bankrupt or on the verge of bankruptcy when he died. Hmm. Um, he had really nothing. That being said, about 150 to 200 mourners attended the funeral. Wow. All right. Yeah. And they included Patty Duke, John Aston, and Carol O'Connor, mm. as well as his castmates from Hogan's Heroes. And furthermore, the producer of Hogan's Heroes, Edward Feldman, two of Crane's co-stars, Larry Hobus and Robert Clary, and Robert Jr., his son, served as the pallbearers. Mm. And so he just he went from like, uh, like, it's it's sad to me in the sense that he died thinking nobody knew him anymore. Nobody cared anymore. Mm -hmm. And he was still so beloved that like about 200 people showed up to his funeral. Yeah. Like just very, very sad. Um, Originally, he was buried at Oakwood Memorial Park in Chatsworth, Los Angeles County. However, in 2003, Olson had Crane's body moved to another cemetery, the prestigious Westwood Memorial Park in Los Angeles, without telling any of Crane's family from his first marriage. Ew. That's fucked up. Gets better. Gets better. Furthermore, she had a new grave marker installed, which was adorned with writings and photographs of him and herself. And then she established a memorial website with their son, Scott, that sold some of Crane's amateur porn movies. <gasps> that's cashed in on that real fucking quick. Yeah, it's fucking gross. It gets better because Scott allegedly went on to regret capitalizing on this deal uh, on his father's like yeah. death. And he has since shut down the site, destroyed all of his dad's collection of like porn and videos and photos and shit like that. And instead chose to focus uh, like dedicate his time and energy at that point on getting crane inducted into the radio hall of fame that's a better use of your time and effort yes i would say and apparently he really regrets it like he he understands that that was not the way to do things but like he he you know he still he did it but he's still working like there's a page called Bob Crane Life and Legacy on Facebook, um, 
like he's still campaigning to get him entered into the radio hall of fame uh-huh um but as a result the or the resulting investigation um caused crane's private private life and his sex addiction addiction being kind of publicly just splashed across rags and magazines and mm. shit like that very quickly um upon research upon searching the apartment police found a slew of those sex tapes that he made with him of himself and all those women along with photographic negatives of nude women polaroids and pretty much soon like theories began spouting up amongst law enforcement that his sexual proclivities were the cause of his murder mm-hmm. um it didn't help that as i said before crane's family maintains that the videotaping was all consensual when Scottsdale police informed some of the women in the tapes after Crane's murder, they were unaware that they had been filmed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. There's yeah, no way. Allegedly. You, yeah. There's no way that you got consent from every single one of these. Yeah, well, the only reason why I wonder, like, and I'm not, I'm not going to deny that these victims didn't know this, but the reason why I can understand why his family was like, oh yeah, like they knew just because like, equipment like recording equipment was not big i mean was not small back then yeah so like if there's a camera and a tripod yeah i mean unless somebody unless he said it's off yeah or unless somebody is going up to the camera and like enthusiastically like stating their boobs or stating their uh, intention to the camera then like (laughs) i mean you could hide it behind a door you could hide it like right like it like in like a drawer or something in a like conspicuous place or like yeah i don't know it just seems sketch i don't yeah. like it yeah but um despite these theories robert jr maintains that his father's sex addiction never landed him in any kind of dangerous territory telling entertainment weekly quote to find out that the all-american hogan has this some people call it a dark side but i don't think of it as a dark side my dad loved women I think he might have been overcompensating for the lack of a solid career in the final years, and maybe that fed his ego to meet a woman in a nightclub and they'd go off and sleep together. But I never looked at it as dark because it was consensual. There weren't hidden cameras or anything. End quote. Mm. But he wasn't in the room, so how does he know that? Exactly. Well, and not. also, like, not saying it would have escalated, but, but who's to say it didn't? But who's to say his career's on the decline? Um, it keeps declining. He's starting to get angry. One of these encounters ends not so great. Oh, like, see, I was thinking the other way around is that his his he's um like he does the thing with uh-huh. the all right. The we sex. got there. We figured it out. The <laughs> sex. Yes. Thank you. And that she doesn't know that she's being filmed. And then bada bing, bada boom. We got we got ourselves a beating. Yeah. Yeah. Bada beat, bada boom. Um. But anyway, but not, like not any, to make light, but any there's of a lot these, of scenarios. Yeah, any of these scenarios could have happened had yes. this kept going on. Yes. Not that they <sighs> would have, but maybe. Ever ruined my intro there, but that's fine. That's I right. forgive you. Okay. <laughs> um, that didn't mean that Crane wasn't making some potentially dangerous choices. Two days before his death, he called Robert Jr., who later recalled to Entertainment Weekly he was he was two weeks shy of 50. He says, I am making changes. I'm divorcing Patty. He wanted to lose people like John Carpenter, who had become a pain in the butt. He wanted a clean slate, end quote. Hmm. 
unfortunately for Crane, he would never be able to get that clean slate. Though he did file for divorce from Olson, they like proceedings were underway. Um, according to Robert Jr., when Crane tried to separate himself from Carpenter, who had followed Crane out to Arizona, allegedly, quote, they had a breakup of sorts. Carpenter lost it. He was being rejected. He was being spurned like a lover. There are eyewitnesses that night at a club in Scottsdale that said they had an argument. John and my dad, end quote. Hmm. And the next day, John, the next day, Crane was dead. Wow. Yeah. So though DNA testing wasn't a thing yet in 1978, Carpenter immediately became the primary suspect in Crane's murder. In addition to their earlier blowout, authorities found that there was no sign of forced entry into Crane's apartment, which suggests that he knew his attacker. And although during the or also during the investigation, Carpenter said to police that right before the murder, Crane had shown him a book of Polaroid snapshots of naked women, including some that he had met at the dinner theater. However, when the police like turned the apartment upside down, they did not find it. They found all of his other sh- like stashes of porn and shit. They never found that book of Polaroids that mm. only Carpenter and Crane knew about. Okay. Furthermore, that was missing and a video camera tripod was missing. And those were the two things that were missing from the apartment and that's it. Even more incriminating, Vassal told Entertainment Weekly, quote, at the scene, there was blood everywhere. There were some traces of blood on the back of the exit door, the front door, the doorknob. There was a red stain on the curtain. We found blood in Carpenter's rental car and on the passenger door. It was Crane's blood type. Nobody else who handled that car had the same blood type as Crane. It was type B blood, all of it, end quote. Hmm. Um, and the blood in the car, the rental, was found two days after the murder. Okay. So unfortunately... The blood in the rental car wasn't enough um, without a murder weapon or a more definitive confirmation that the blood was actually Crane's, despite it being the same blood type. Mm-hmm. There was no way that, like, the district attorney was going to give them a, an arrest warrant for Crane. Yeah. Or for Carpenter. Until, that is, 12 years later, when Scottsdale detective Jim Raines discovered a photo among the crime scene materials, like, literally almost to the day of the murder, 12 years Mm-hmm. Um, that revealed a speck of brain tissue was found in Carpenter's car, like on that side panel of the door. And how often does that happen? I mean, maybe I'm not living my life in the right way, but it's never happened to me. Yeah. Couldn't be me. So with this newfound piece of evidence, a new theory arose that the missing tripod from the scene of the crime that still had never been recovered was the blunt instrument used as the murder weapon to beat Crane's skull in and that the blood in Carpenter's rental car had dripped from the tripod when he leaned it against the car door to leave. Very interesting theory. Sounds plausible to me. Yes. Unfortunately. No one ever found the tripod. No. Well, yes, but no. The sample itself was long gone because the crime lab at the State Department of Public Safety either lost that critical piece of evidence or just never bothered to recover it in the first place. See, it's always these cases that like they're always like losing shit or they threw it out. And it's like, dude, I work in a place where I need to keep records for like a minimum of 10 years. Mm hmm. This is not that long after, like, yeah, I don't know. 
hell, I don't work in a place where I need to keep shit a minimum of 10 years, but I've still got all of my papers from the first grade because what if they decide that I don't deserve my first grade diploma and I've got to go all the way back to first grade like fucking Billy Madison? Oh, I have uh, I have pay stubs from the first job I worked at. Uh-huh. Yep, same. 100%. Like, yes. What if I need these for taxes? I was going to say, what if I get audited by the IRS from when back I was in 2008. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, this image was still ruled as admissible by a judge and Carpenter was ultimately charged with Crane's murder. Okay, cool. All right. We're about it. So then the trial, which began in 1994 and lasted for eight weeks, was a whole fucking ordeal. <laughs> Um, witnesses said that Crane and Carpenter did not fight in a nightclub the night before the murder, that actually they had seen them having a friendly dinner. And instead of a huge argument, like instead of a huge argument, but also the DNA tests conducted on the blood were inconclusive. The blood found in the car that they did have samples of. Okay. Again, no fucking brain matter, though. Um, Carpenter's attorney even cast a shadow of a doubt on the alleged murder weapon, the missing tripod, saying to the jury that there's no proof it even existed. They just said, hey, this is missing. But was it ever really in there? Okay. So the defense also used Crane's sex addiction in their favor, suggesting that perhaps a jealous husband or boyfriend of one of his many sexual partners could have committed the act. After deliberating for nearly three days, the jury was ultimately unable to see beyond a shadow of a doubt that, or beyond a reasonable doubt, that Carpenter could have murdered Crane with this small amount of evidence that they were given. Mm. And so Carpenter was acquitted of the murder in 1994 and maintained his innocence until he died four years later in 1998. Okay. I mean, there was not enough evidence. There is still a possibility it could have been one of his many sexual partners. Like, there's so many other possibilities. I, from what you presented, I think it could have been Carpenter. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, you got to be a little more strict when you're uh, in the courtroom, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. deciding someone's fate. Yeah, exactly. and, and, And the great tragedy of it all is that the jury believed that Carpenter did kill Crane. Like, it, it just it's just there wasn't enough to prove it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the jury foreman, Michael Lake, asked after the trial, quote, what was the spec? Nobody knows what it was, not even the doctors. You can't prove someone guilty on speculation. Exactly. Quote. Yeah. And Vassal later lamented to Entertainment Weekly as if he had no, like, nothing to do with the fact that they didn't have enough evidence. Um Quote, we did the best we could. We went through all the evidence. We talked to all the witnesses that we could possibly talk to, and we came up with what we came up with. A lot of times when you have an old case like that, it's very difficult to get a conviction. It would have been a slam dunk with the DNA testing, end quote. Yeah, well, maybe if you didn't have, like, people traipsing all through the fucking crime scene. Yeah. But anyway, Robert Jr., meanwhile, agrees with the possibility that Carpenter was his father's killer. But he also casts suspicion on his stepmother, Olson, who, let's remember, they were in the middle of the divorce when Crane died. Um, or at the beginning of the divorce, I should say, not in the middle. But because the divorce was not yet finalized, she inherited everything. Hmm. Despite the fact that he was literally like getting her out of his life. And though Crane was, like I said before, bankrupt at the time of his death, essentially, like right after his murder... His estate came into millions from a new syndication deal for Hogan's Heroes. Like, mm. it would have changed his life. And it did change hers. Yeah. Um, and again, let's also not forget that she sold her husband's fucking porn to make more money. <sighs> using the Bob Crane name. Yeah. Um, Robert Jr. said, quote, 
She was in the middle of a divorce with my dad. If there's no divorce, she keeps what she gets. And if there's no husband, she gets the whole thing. End quote. Yeah. However, the authorities never took Robert Jr.'s concerns about Olsen seriously. And she went on to die of lung cancer in 2007 and was buried next to next to Crane at that fancy plot that she bought in 2003 with all of her fucking photos on the marker, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, So she took any potential knowledge of the crime with her. And she was buried beside Crane under her stage name, Secret Valdez, instead Great. of fucking Patty Olson. So Robert Crane Jr. went on to write a book about the case with Christopher Fryer, which was released in 2015. It's called Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder, and it has a 3.43 on Goodreads. In 2016, Phoenix TV reporter for KSAZ-TV, Channel 10, John Hook, like Vassal, he believes that Carpenter was the killer, but he was able to convince the county DA to grant him access to the old blood samples so he could send them to Bode Cellmark Forensics, which, if that sounds familiar to you, that's because they, under a different name, but they like they went on to change names, but they're the firm that worked on the Jean Benet Ramsey and O.J. Simpson cases. Interesting. And Jean yes. Benet Ramsey case, they also fucked up a bunch of evidence and O.J. Mm-hmm. Simpson. And O.J. Simpson. Wow. Fucking glove, they just have a great track record. Yeah. Well, I so, guess it's the people it's not collected. Them. Yeah, it's yes, the it's people the collected. Yeah. yeah, they. But they worked on these high-profile cases yeah. too. So it resulted in an interesting TV special and a book that exists. Um, the testing was predominantly inconclusive and only revealed that a previously unidentified man, his DNA showed up at the crime scene. So like, not on the door Carpenter's. And stuff like that. Not Carpenter. Not Crane. There's a third man. All right. Uh, Law enforcement tried to get DNA samples from Crane and Carpenter's remains, but both of their families refused to give permission to have the bodies exhumed. And the book by Hook (laughs) um, is titled Who Killed Bob Crane? And it has a 3.6 out of 5 on Goodreads. And as of this recording, Bob Crane's murder remains unsolved. I hate that. I also hate that. In 2002, a movie based on Robert Gray Smith's 1993 book, The Murder of Bob Crane, Who Killed the Star of Hogan's Heroes, which has a 3.5 out of 5 on Goodreads, premiered. The biopic is called Autofocus, and it starred Greg Kinnear as Crane and Willem Dafoe as Carpenter, as well as Maria Bello as Olsen. Wow. Star-studded. Yeah. It very, because I'm not even done. Because Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks' better half, played Anne, the first wife. Um, but also fun fact, Robert Jr. plays a reporter interviewing Kinnear as Crane in the movie. Okay. So despite this, like, I'm presuming if he's involved as a reporter, if he's making a cameo, then he supports the yeah. movie being made. Um, you would hope. Ca- yes. So despite this perceived re- support, Carol Ford, co-author of Bob Crane, the definitive biography and unofficial spokesperson for Olson's like crane like crane's family with olsen and olsen uh-huh denounced the movie for overemphasizing crane's sex addiction saying quote as far as the amateur for pornography that was a small part of a bigger pie you might say bob was chronicling and writing down and filming every single thing in his life so when you look at it in the grand scheme of things it's just a small slice end quote and i'm like that sounds Is like something that sounds like something patty olsen would have you say so that she didn't look like a cuck but anyway In the DVD commentary, Kinnear mentioned that while he wasn't in the scene in which Crane was murdered, um, they did try to keep it as accurate 
as possible. They even used a rubber mold of Kinnear and recreated the crime scene photos as accurately as they could to get the shot. Yeah, but at the same time, I appreciate, like, not overdoing it, for example, in the yeah. state. Like, like it, it, what comes to mind, and while a lot of it was done, it was like a love letter to Sharon Tate, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood went overkill with the gore. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they could have gone that way. They did not. Okay. Um, they were, they tried to keep it, like, accurate. But the movie has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 71% Google score, and a 71% tomato meter rating with a 61% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, with the critics' consensus being, quote, Kinnear and Defoe help make this downward spiral of one man's life a compelling watch, end quote. All right. Slow down there, champ. You're getting too wordy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere to watch for free, but you can rent it for three bucks on Vudu or, if you must, Amazon Prime. And... Also, I don't usually do this. I don't think I ever do this. But I wanted to close this out with a quote from Crane. Okay. Um, Quote, eventually what you're looking for is going to happen. And by the time it does happen, you'll be that much better along the way to what you should be. Don't get discouraged and just keep on plugging along. And what you want will eventually be yours. You know, there's nothing to stop it if you just keep on working hard. And by working hard, I mean doing the best job you can possibly can. Everything happens for the best, and I believe it completely, end quote. Yeah. And yeah, I came across that in my research. And like I said, I, I don't like do this, but it's just this particular quote really spoke to me. And if anybody's going through a tough time right now, I think it might do something for them, too. That's really nice. So and yeah, yeah I can be nice, bitch. he he had like a um like a downward trending career at the time and he had this sex addiction and questionable porn recording yeah but uh, then he was so prolific after like it's sad that he didn't get to see his star rose back up yeah and then he he like right before he died called his son and was like hey i'm thinking about like turning my life trying to start over yeah yeah Yeah. really really unfortunate it's sad and you know, I mean, maybe it's a shot in the dark. Maybe it's a Hail Mary. But if you have any information about Bob Crane's murder, um, maybe don't tell us, but maybe tell the Maricopa County Police Department in Arizona. Yeah. And I mean, they, they're they solving cold cases every day. I know yeah. there's a backlog. I know that some are super, like, in comparison's sake, much newer. Older cases have been solved. I mean, they found out who the yeah. Zodiac is. All right. Well, I don't know whether that's... I feel like the jury is still out on that. Is because it? I'm hearing conflicting... I'm hearing conflicting arguments now. Somebody well, they can, cracked like, the cipher, get though. Me they up to for speak. sure cracked the cipher. Yes, yes. Somebody can get me up to speed whether or not they actually have found... Because I'm hearing they did, and then they didn't. And then they did, and then they didn't. I don't know for sure. All, right. All I know is that the Zodiac Killer definitely didn't go to Mexico when its state was in shambles. Or did they? Are you talking about Ted Cruz? I'm never not talking about Ted Cruz. That's not true. I don't like to keep Ted Cruz's name in my mouth for very long. Um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, but um, speaking of having questionable porn. What? Proclivities. You don't remember that? When Ted oh, Cruz him? was like, when Ted Cruz was favoriting like porn stuff on his Twitter account and he didn't know people could see his favorites. Oh God. He's like, just what the a, dumpiest he, piece of shit. Just. <laughs> Texas, why do you keep electing this man? God, he's just... I don't know, man. 
I don't know. My my dad is on the conservative side of things, but even he agrees that Ted Cruz looks like Grandpa from the Munsters. So look that up. You'll never unsee it. Yeah, I guess. See, I did watch a lot of TV Land as a kid. I don't know if everybody caught that at the beginning of this episode. I watched too much TV Land as a kid. So I got those deep cuts, but I don't have the Hogan's Heroes deep cut. And now I kind of want to watch it. I watched some clips to try to like... Funny Nazi show? Let's do it. Funny The funny Nazis. Um... I tried to watch some clips so that I, because when I read the synopsis, I was like, there's no fucking way that this is accurate. It is, for the record. It is accurate. But I kind of want to watch it now. And Hogan's Heroes, like, you can't, not that I can find, you can't watch it anywhere, but it is syndicated. Um, episodes are playing on Sundance, if you get the Sundance channel. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll probably be able to find some episodes on TV Land at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, because that's when they usually air these things. Probably. Uh, but... I'll ask my dad. My dad probably knows where I can watch Hogan's Heroes. He probably has a box set sitting next to him right now. Probably. Um, or your dad too. Who knows? I'm telling you, it was like it was like Mash, but World War II with Nazis. All right. You know, dad, the, dad's like the watching Vietnam. war stuff. It is. It is war stuff. That's exactly yeah. what it was. It's anyway. like right up there with Mikhail's Navy. <laughs> Perfect. I'm just I'm throwing them all out there. Um, but yeah. So yeah. Our website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. And once you're there, you can find the link to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Oh. Um, and again, fun. you can find the link in our link tree uh, to Cosmic Green Candles, 20% off mm-hmm. the code Crime Culture. Definitely get some candles for you and all of the people on your holiday shopping list. Hell yeah. And if you want a gift that keeps on giving, I'm going to steal all of Haley's wedding photos and upload them to the Patreon. So it's like we all were there. Definitely so. not all of them, but maybe a couple. And if you follow maybe me a on They're my so personal uh, social media, we never plug our personal stuff. I'm at I don't plug hey my socials. underscore Lee, L-E-E 12. And I'm at, you can find me in our bio if you really care that much, but I doubt it. So oh, are we, are our, so, are our personal socials linked in our bio? I'm pretty sure because I'm the one that set up the socials. All right. Probably look at our, our Instagram it might be there, but yeah, it's, it's probably there. Like they should be all in the bios, but I don't link us in the link tree because like, quite frankly, my, I'm tired my, of me. well, I'm tired of me and my, my accounts are mostly shit posts and not enough cats. I need to I need to post more of my cats. Yeah. But I think I think I might be private, but you can add me as a friend. Just tell me that you're a podcast person and I'll be like, gotcha. That's how that's how they get Haley. That's how Haley's gonna get got. Someone's gonna roll up in their little Instagram account white van and be like, Oh, it's okay, I'm a podcast person and Haley's gonna get taken. Nah, it's all right. Take me. Good luck. Take her. You'll give her back yeah <laughs> anyway uh that was us and you're you and this mm-hmm. has been crime culture and we will see that. you next tuesday hell yeah bye happy holidays, happy holidays. bye, bye. bye.